Today's scripture reading will be taken from Romans 8, chapter 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified by him, with him. This is God's word. Thanks, Rebecca, for reading God's word to us. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then uh, let's dive into God's word. Let's pray together. Precious Father, we thank you indeed that you are God who has been so gracious to us. Father, we thank you that you have saved us through your Son. You've poured out your Spirit on us so that we might come to you, know you, and be called your children. Father, as we come to you now, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds, open our ears to hear your word. And Father, we come as a needy people. Father, we come not because we are deserving, we come not because we are able to come on our own, and indeed we ask you for help. We pray that you would do what only you are able to do by your Spirit. We ask that you would humble us, make us attentive to your Word, help us to not merely be hearers of your Word, but we pray that your Word would be planted deep in us, your Word would take root, and your Word would truly bear fruit that brings you glory in our lives. So Father, we ask for your help, and we pray that you would meet with us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are life's fundamental questions? Have you thought about what are the fundamental questions of life? Questions like, who who am I? Where do I belong? Where am I going? And these are life's fundamental questions. And these questions reflect our deepest needs. Now, we all want a sense of identity, you know, to know who we really are. We all want to belong. We all want to ha- belong somewhere where we are wanted, where we are loved, where we feel accepted and approved of. Now, we all want a secure future. We all want a sense of direction to know where we are headed, something certain. We all want to know where we are going. And I think this is why Romans 8 is such an important chapter in the whole Bible. You know, this chapter is regarded as one of the high points of Scripture, if not the high point of the entire Bible. Why is Romans 8 so glorious? I believe it's because this chapter answers the fundamental questions that I've just posed. Who am I? And where do I belong? 
And where am I going? Romans 8 reveals who we are, reveals where we truly belong. It reveals to us where we are going. Now, many of us know the gospel means uh, good news, right? Gospel, good news. Now, have we ever considered why the gospel is such good news? Now, why, why do we say the gospel is good news? Now, as we've heard from Romans so far, the gospel is the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to die on the cross for our sins. We know that this same Jesus, he rose from the dead after three days, according to the promise in the scriptures. And we know also that if we have faith alone in this Jesus, we can be forgiven. Our, our sins can be washed away. We are justified, you know, that term that Paul uses, meaning declared righteous by God. Uh, as we heard last week, there is no condemnation for us. If we believe in Jesus, we are freed from our slavery to sin. We're headed for heaven. Forgiveness, justification, freedom, heaven, you know, all good things to be sure, but are they the reason why the gospel is such good news? You know, in Romans 8, Paul gets to the heart of why the gospel is so good. You know, all these blessings of the gospel that I've spoken of, you know, forgiveness, justification, heaven, freedom. You know, these gospel blessings are wonderful. They are precious, but they are not ultimate. I, I, I put it to us that they are not the reason why the gospel is such good news. They are means to an end. You know, the gospel is good news because God gives himself to us. He doesn't just give us good things but he gives himself to us. Now, if you want to summarize Romans 8, it can be summarized in just four words. A four-word summary of the whole of Romans 8. God is for us. God is for us. You know, the gospel is not transactional. You know, we, we kind of believe in Jesus and get something in return. No, the gospel is not transactional. The gospel is relational. It's about God bringing us into relationship with Himself, giving us Himself. But we believe the gospel not to use Jesus to get what we want. No, the gospel is not even about getting saved. The gospel is about gaining God. Gaining God. God is the goal of the gospel. And indeed, God has removed the very obstacle that keeps us from Him, our sin. So all the things about forgiveness, justification, they are the means that God has employed to remove the obstacle that prevents us from coming to Him. Because God has saved us for Himself so that we might know and enjoy Him forever. Only in Him, only in God, do we find who we are. Only in God do we find where we belong. And only in God do we know where we are going. And in this chapter, Romans 8, the, the key uh, doctrine that comes out again and again, Romans 8, is this idea of adoption. God adopts us as His children. He becomes our loving Father. And this is why, friends, the gospel is so good. Friends, do we appreciate the awesome privilege of being a child of God? 
Now, sometimes it sounds really simple, right? That, that we are children of God, but friends, do, do we deep dive into how and what an amazing and awesome privilege this is to have God as our Father and for us to be His beloved children. Now, G.I. Packer wrote in his famous book, Knowing God, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole life, whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Friends, we have a Father. Now, this passage shows us that God is for us, and these verses speak of the blessing of being God's children. And one of the amazing blessings of being God's children is that He has given His Spirit to us, a Spirit who enables us to live new lives as God's children. So in, as we go through this passage, I just have two points on how the Spirit helps us. Because we are God's children, we have His Spirit. How then does the Spirit of God help us to live as the children of God? So just two points from this passage. First point, the Spirit leads us towards holiness. You see this in verses 12 to 14. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, as we heard last week, God's Spirit lives in all of us who believe in Jesus. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Uh, we, we learned last week that the Spirit has set us free, free from the clutches of sin. And the Spirit gives us the power to live a new life of righteousness. The Spirit is the one who empowers and enables us to live in a way that pleases God. So if, if the Spirit dwells in us, right, if we have the Spirit as God's children, how then shall we live? What does it mean to live in the Spirit? Paul says in verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh. You know, if, if we are indebted to someone, you know, the language of debt, if we are indebted to someone, we, we feel obligated to that person. Right? We, we feel obliged to please him or her. But Paul says, we are not indebted to the flesh. We, we owe the flesh our old sinful nature, all the cravings and desires of that old sinful nature. We, we owe that nature nothing. You know, we are not obligated, no longer obligated to live according to that old nature. Why? Because we've been set free by the Spirit from sin. We're not bound anymore to live to satisfy all the cravings of that old sinful nature, our flesh. Friends, you know, if, if we are in Christ, I wonder if we realize that sin is no longer inevitable if you are in Christ. You know, if, friends, if, if you are in Christ, you are not bound to sin. You are no longer bound to sin. Sin in your life is not inevitable. If we are in Christ, we have the freedom to not sin because Christ has freed us. 
So what does this mean for us? It means we shouldn't rationalize or excuse our sin. No, we have no excuse. And because Christ has freed us from our sins, we can no longer say, oh, that's just me. I can't change. That's just my personality. No, friends, we have been freed and made new by Christ. Sin is no longer a given in our lives because we no long, are no longer debtors to the flesh. We're no longer ob- obliged to live according to our own natures. Friends, are, are we discouraged by our sins? You know, do, do we feel stuck in our sins? You know, this, these verses tell us not to lose heart. In, indeed, Christ has set us free. And by His Spirit, we have the power to live a new life. So if if we are not debtors to the flesh, then who are we indebted to? You notice Paul actually doesn't complete that sentence here in verses 12 to 14. Now Paul doesn't say who we are debtors to, but, but it's clear that he means to say that we are indebted to God Himself. He, he, Paul wants us to know, remember what God has done for us through His Son and by His Spirit. You know, consider the great salvation that you've received through Jesus Christ. So having received the love and grace of God, we should see ourselves as obliged, as indebted to our great Saviour. And if we are indebted to God in this way, how then can we go on sinning? How, how then can we go on living for ourselves if we are truly debtors of grace? Paul intends to, to motivate us towards the glory of God. How? By, by God's grace. He wants us to consider the, the depth of God's goodness towards us so that we are motivated by the grace of God to live lives that are pleasing to God. In fact, if we go on living according to the sinful ways of the flesh, verse 13 says, then we will die. It's very black and white, is it? If we live according to the flesh, then we will die. Why why does Paul say this? How can Paul be so black and white? I I think it's because it shows that if we continue living in the flesh, it shows that we haven't truly experienced the grace of God. Because the grace of God, when when it comes into our lives, the, the grace of God doesn't just forgive us and save us from our sins. The grace of God transforms us from the inside out. The grace of God frees us from our slavery to sin so that we can no longer live as debtors to the flesh. So if we've received the grace of God, we will truly live. And if we still live according to the sinful ways of the flesh, if if our lives are still driven by what we want, if our lives are still driven by our cravings to serve ourselves, then Paul says, watch out. Watch out. Because if you continue to live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, if, if the gospel makes no difference at all in our lives, then we should ask ourselves if we have truly believed the gospel. As Paul says, if we have the Spirit, we will live according to the Spirit. 
Having the Spirit and being led by the Spirit shows that we are children of God. Now, verse 14 says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, who are led by the Spirit of God? The sons of God. Right? So that there's no exclusion there. Whoever has the Spirit is a child of God, and if you are a child of God, you will be led by the Spirit. So how does the Spirit lead us? Right? You know, some, 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 some people talk a lot about being led by the Spirit. You know, how does the Spirit lead us exactly? You know, in this context, Paul isn't talking about the general guidance of the Spirit. You know, for example, guiding us to make life decisions about jobs or schools or who to marry. You know, that, that's not the kind of leading that Paul has in mind in verse 13 and 14. Indeed, verse 13, if you look one verse up, verse 13 defines for us what the leading of the Spirit means. Because what does verse 13 says? By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the Spirit leads us. How does the Spirit lead us? The Spirit leads us to put to death the deeds of the body. This is, this is what Paul understands here about being led by the Spirit. So in other words, the Spirit's role is to lead us towards Christ, it's to lead us towards Christ-likeness, to, to lead us towards holiness by enabling us to turn away from sin. That's how the Spirit leads us. Now, children resemble their father. Now, we are to be holy because the, our Heavenly Father is holy. So what the Spirit does is that the Spirit imprints God's DNA on His children. The Spirit makes us more and more like our Heavenly Father by leading us to put to death the deeds of the body, leading us towards holiness. When the, when the Spirit works in us, the Spirit changes us from the inside out, changes our hearts. The Spirit gives us new hearts that love God. The Spirit gives us new desires so that we want to do what God wants us to do. And the Spirit changes even how we respond when we fall into sin. You can always tell where, how a person is by how they respond to sin, to their own sin. Right? A Christian and non-Christian, we, we all will still sin. So how do you tell someone who has the Spirit from someone who doesn't have the Spirit? I, I believe it's how this person responds when they fall into sin. If, if the, friends, if, if the Spirit is working in us, we will take God's side against our sin. But if we don't have the Spirit working in us, we will invariably take sin's side against God. So if we take God's side against our sin, our hearts will be repentant. We'll come to God in confession. We'll come to God in repentance. We will understand brokenness of spirit. We'll understand what the psalmist says when he says, a broken heart, O Lord, you will not despise. We'll understand what it means to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I need your help. I'm not what I should be. Forgive me. That's what it looks like to take God's side against our sin. But if the Spirit is not at work in us, we will take sin's side against God. When we, when we fall into sin, we will rationalize. 
we'll excuse, we'll blame other people, we'll blame our circumstances, right? because we don't take ownership of who we are and what we've actually done. I believe the Spirit will lead us towards holiness by helping us to come to God with hearts that are humble and contrite, hearts that desire to return to Him by His grace. So living by the Spirit doesn't mean so letting go and letting God, right? No, living by the Spirit doesn't mean that we are passive in following God. And in fact, in, in, this, in these verses, God says to us, you put to death the deeds of the body, right? You. So you are responsible for putting to death the deeds of the body. So we, friends, are responsible for saying no to sin and saying yes to God. And the Spirit is the one who enables us to do that. Let me give you this story. You know, a man wanted to hire a driver to take him through some narrow mountain roads along the edge of a cliff. Right, so he was looking for a driver. So he interviewed a couple of applicants. An applicant came to him very confident and said to this man, hey, you should hire me. I can drive within a meter of the edge and still make it through. Right, so, so hire me. I'm, I'm the man for, your, for the job. So he said, okay, you know, I'll consider. Then the second man came into the interview and said, hey, hire me. I can do better. I can drive within half a meter of the edge and still be safe. Right, so the man, oh, wait, that's pretty impressive. Let, let me think about it. The third man came into the interview and the third man said, you should hire me. The, the, the man said, why, why should I hire you? Are you able to drive even closer to the edge? So this man said, no, I, I always drive as far from the edge as I can. <laughs> Who do you think got the job? It's the third man, right? <laughs> Friends, I, I tell this story to help us think, you know, what attitude do we take to our sin? You know, are we like the first man? Or like the second man? Or are we like the third man? I always drive as far from the edge as I can. You know, how do, how do we think about our sin? You know, are we trying to push the envelope? You know, are we trying to get as close to the edge of a cliff as we can? Do we test God in that way with regards to our sin? You know, the, the, what, what word does Paul, what phrase does Paul here use to describe how we interact with our sin? What's that phrase he uses? Put to death. It's a very strong phrase, right? Put to death, therefore, the deeds of the body. Now, what does it mean to put to death? He literally kill, literally execute a death sentence. I mean, that, that's how that phrase is used in other parts of Scripture, right? Execute a death sentence on your sin. Now, friends, don't, don't drive so close to the edge and see how far you can go without falling off, off the cliff. Right? Paul says, don't, don't even go near the cliff. Right? Put to death, therefore, the deeds of the body. He doesn't say manage your sin. He doesn't say tolerate it. He doesn't say rationalize it, give reasons for it, excuse it. He doesn't say ignore it. He doesn't say make peace with it learn to live with it, 
try to domesticate it, treat it like a pet. No, Paul, Paul doesn't say any of that at all. Put to death, therefore, the deeds of the body. As an, an old Christian writer put it well, he says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Friends, what, what do we struggle with? You know, we, 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 know, we know our lives, we know the, the, the sins that we are inclined to. Friend, friends, this is a good time as we hear the, the force of this passage put to death the deeds of the body. You know, to come to God now in your hearts and God, God, please show me where in my life do I need to put to death the deeds of the body? Is it lust? Is it my pride? Is, is it my desire for control? Is it, my, is it my desire for a name for myself? Is it my selfishness? Is it my temper? Is it my anger? My unforgiving spirit? My critical heart? Friends, now is the time, friends, to go, to go to God and God help me. Help me put to death the deeds of the body. I've been driving so close to the edge of a cliff, it's enough. Help me to move away from the edge of the cliff and to really do business with you. You know, don't, don't think about the sins of the people around you. Don't say to ourselves, oh, so-and-so really needs to hear this. No, friends, let's focus on our own sins. Reflect on our own hearts, our words, our attitudes, our actions, what needs to change? How is God calling us to humbly and honestly come to Him in repentance, to put to death the deeds of the body? Now, as, as long as we live in this fallen world, our war with sin will go on. Yeah, so, so the tense that Paul uses in these verses is all present tense. It says the Spirit is leading us, present tense, present continuous tense, to be putting to death, again, present tense, the deeds of the body is an ongoing struggle that we experience against sin. The Spirit is there struggling with us, helping us, enabling us, empowering us to put to death the deeds of the body. And friends, this is how we know that we are children of God. You, know, you want assurance? You want to know what it means to be a child of God? This is what it means, is to know that we struggle against sin. We know that we take God's side against our sin. We're putting to death the deeds of the body. Friends, this is how we know that we are children of God. There's ongoing repentance in our lives as we again and again turn away from sin and turn back to God. And this is something that we can do for one another. I think this is why God brings us together as His people, as a community. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, we are encouraged to help one another fight sin. We're encouraged to, to love one another, to, to love one another enough to, to exhort one another to turn away from sin. You know, like Galatians 6 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you, know, you who have the Holy Spirit, you who, you, you who have the Holy Spirit should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know, bear one another's burdens because we all struggle with the same struggle. We all struggle with sin as fellow children of God. So bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, what's the law of Christ? That you love one another as Christ has loved us. Right? That, that's what it means to struggle together as we live together as children of God. You know, and, and all this is not self-help, right? We're not, God doesn't say, go do your best, right? Go, go work in your own strength. This is not self-help. Paul says the only way we can do all this is by the Spirit. You know, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. What God requires of us, He enables. What God requires of us, He empowers. As God's children, we have God's Spirit to help us to be holy. So, so Paul says, come depend on God, friends. Come know, know who you are as children of God and depend on His Spirit to enable you to live in a way that truly glorifies Him. You know, stop, stop making excuses for your sin. Stop rationalizing how you live, but instead come to God and say, God, help me. Help me to put to death the deeds of the body so that I might truly glorify you. Come trust in our Heavenly Father who has graciously given us His Spirit. And, and this Father is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to His power, His power at work within us, His Spirit at work within us. Friends, this is what it means to be a child of God. The second way the Spirit helps us is the Spirit assures us that we are God's children. Verses 15 to 17. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the idea of being God's son appears in the Old Testament Exodus. God saved Israel from slavery to sonship. You know, Exodus 4 says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And the prophet Hosea picks up on this idea of sonship and he says in Hosea chapter 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. And then in the New Testament, uh, this idea of adoption was practiced in, under Roman law. So under Roman law, if, if you were, uh, you know, if, if you wanted an heir, like an, someone who will inherit your estate uh, and if you don't have a uh, a biological child, what do you do? You, you adopt uh, a child under Roman law. Uh, and a, an adopted son was intentionally chosen by his adoptive parents to be the heir, to be the heir for his estate. And then when this son is brought in as an adopted son, this son would receive a new name. Uh, this son would have the rights under law to inherit all that his father has. 
So Roman law recognized such an institution as adoption. And I think this is what Paul is drawing from when he speaks of God adopting us as his children. You know, adoption is a tremendous blessing. Right? If, if verses 12 to 14 lay out the obligations that we have as God's children, then verses 15 to 17 point out the privileges of our sonship. Paul says we've received the spirit of adoption. The, the spirit unites us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and because we are in the Son, we become sons and daughters. And the Spirit is the one who unites us to Christ in this way. And Paul says if we receive the Spirit of adoption, we need not fear because God has adopted us. Paul says we, we can have security because God has given us a new name. He's given us a new identity. He's given us a new status. You know, Paul, as, as it says elsewhere in Scripture that fear has to do with punishment. But if we are God's children, we have no fear of His judgment because Christ has died in our place to make us right with God. There is no condemnation. You know, some of us know earthly fathers who are never satisfied with their children. Some of us uh, know what it means to, to be a child and not live up to our expectations of our parents. You know, as a result, children whose parents are never satisfied, you know, they, they're insecure and they lack assurance. You know, as, as a father myself, I'm, I'm conscious of how easy it is to, 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 to be like this to my, to my own two sons. Right? I, I, I'm continually aware of how if, if I'm always not satisfied with them, I really undermine the sense of security and assurance. Our friends, the, the good news is that God is not that sort of father. You know, in, in this passage, Paul says, we have God's complete approval of us. And not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Therefore, we need not fear we need not have a sense of insecurity or lack of assurance. We need not fear because God is our Father. We have complete freedom to draw near to Him. You know, Paul says we, we can live our Christian lives with a tremendous sense of assurance and security because God is our Father. Friends, I, I pray that God will give us the spiritual sight to see the riches that we have as God's children, to, to see the, the kind of love that the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. And to be a child of God is to enjoy intimacy with God. He's not a distant Father, but one whom we can readily approach because He has loved us first. The, the Spirit gives us a deep sense of God's nearness to us, Paul says, if we have the Spirit, the Spirit enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. You know, Abba is a, is a very intimate way of calling God. You know, it's like saying to God, Daddy, right? Papa, Abba, Father. This is a cry of confidence in God. It's also a cry for help in times of need. 
You know, the, the word cry that Paul uses is the same word used elsewhere in the New Testament to mean an exclamation of pain or anguish. And this is the cry of a child who has tripped and fallen, who calls out, Daddy, Daddy, help! Right? Abba, Father! You know, our Heavenly Father calls us to bring all our anxieties to Him, to come to Him with our troubles and to cry out to Him, Abba, Father. I think it's no coincidence that when Jesus teaches us how to pray, He starts out by saying, Our Father who are in heaven. Friends, what burdens our hearts? And what are we worried about? Paul says we can come to God and cry out, Abba, Father. We can bring our anxieties, we can bring our fears, we can bring our worries to God. Is it about our jobs? Is it about our marriages, our children? Is it about our futures, our health? Friends, God calls us to come to Him because we are His children. He is our Father. We come to Him with a a deep sense of intimacy, of approachability. We cry out to Him, Abba, Father. We can rest in Him, in His love and care. You know, many, many struggle with loneliness and isolation because we have a need to belong. You know, we, we desire genuine community. We want to be in a place where we are welcomed and wanted. You know, this passage tells us that in Christ, we have one Father. We are adopted into one spiritual family with brothers and sisters. And we are together because of what Christ has done. How are we treating one another? How are we treating our fellow brothers and sisters? Do we know that we have the same spiritual father and we have the same spirit who lives in each one of us? And God has welcomed us by His grace into His family. Let's also welcome others so that they may also know God as their father. And the spirit helps us by bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And we can be assured that we belong to God because God's spirit tells us so. What is this witness of the spirit? How does the spirit bear witness with our spirit? I mean, Paul doesn't really ex explain it here, but I believe it, it's, it's an inward assurance that the spirit works in our hearts. The spirit gives us a, a deeper sense of God's joy the Spirit gives us a deeper sense of God's peace and His love. The Spirit gives us a sense of courage and resolve to love and to serve God. And this witness is given to all believers, although how we experience it may vary from person to person, from time to time. But it seems like the Spirit is especially present with us in times of trial. And the Spirit comes alongside us when we suffer. And the Spirit strengthens our confidence that, yes, we are a child of God. I want to introduce you to Henry Light. On the next slide, yes, that's Henry Light. So Henry Light was a pastor and hymn writer. So Henry Light wrote some hymns that we sing today. Uh, hymns like Abide With Me, you know, Fast Falls, The Eventide. 
one of my favorite hymns by Henry Light is, you know, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. You know, Henry Light had a wretched father, a terrible father. Henry Light's father deserted the family when Henry was younger. And after that, you know, he would still keep in touch with Henry. And, and in, in his letters, Henry Light's father refused to call himself his father. So he tell Henry, just call me uncle. Right? So, so Henry Light had a wretched experience with his earthly father. But I think what's amazing, and you do see the work of the Spirit in Henry Light's life, you know, this very assurance that Paul has just spoken of, and we see that happening in the life of Henry Light. Now, as, as you read his hymns, the lyrics of his hymns, his hymns are full of this deep assurance of God's nearness as Father. Even though Henry had a wretched and sorrowful experience caused by his earthly father, Henry enjoyed the intimate love and presence of his heavenly father. One of, my, one of the favorite lines from, from this hymn, Jesus, I, my cross have taken, says, I have called thee Abba, Father. I have set my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good to me. Friends, regardless of our experiences with our earthly fathers, whether good or ill, friends, God is a spiritual heavenly father to us. And, and this father will never disappoint us. This Father gives us His Spirit. This Father enables us to cry out to Him, Abba, Father. And this Father invites us to come to Him, friends. To come to Him, whatever burdens we may be bearing, whatever griefs we may be struggling with, this Father invites us to come to Him and to lay down our cares at His feet and to find true rest in Him. God is for us. God is for us. In Christ, God has adopted us as His children. We have a new identity. We have a new community. We also have a new future. If we are children, Paul says, then we are also heirs. And what is our inheritance? We are heirs of God. God gives Himself to us as our inheritance so that we might enjoy Him forever. As God says in the Old Testament, I am your portion and your inheritance. God is our good, and in His presence, there is fullness of joy. Friends, do we, do we know God as our Father? Are, are we satisfied in Him? Not in the gifts that He gives us, but are we satisfied in Him? Can, can we say to Him, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And will we choose to follow Him wholeheartedly, trusting in Him, finding Him ever faithful? Will we find our joy in Him? You know, this good God shares His glory with us because we shall be glorified with His Son. But verse 17 says, the path to glory goes through suffering. 
we will share in Christ's glory provided we also share in His suffering. We can expect troubles and trials and we will bear the cross before we gain the crown. Friends, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Yes. Because God is for us. Friends, this is why the gospel is such good news. There is no greater privilege than to be adopted by God to be His beloved children. And friends, there is no greater gain. There is no greater gain than to have God Himself. May we be able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Friends, let's come to God our Father and pray to Him. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you and praise you. You indeed are good and merciful to us. And Father, we thank you that we can come to you as children to a loving Father. Father, we thank you that you have opened up the way for us to come through your Son, Jesus Christ. You have taken our sins, the guilt of our sins. You have laid them on Christ so that we might be forgiven so that we might have peace with you and be brought back to you. So Father, we pray now in this time of quiet, we pray that you would fill our hearts with your Spirit. Fill our hearts with a deeper sense of assurance that we might know who we are, that we might know where we truly belong, that we might know you, that we might know where we are going. Friends, now God invites us to come to Him, to find our strength and assurance in Him by His Spirit. Let's spend a couple of moments just meditating on what we've heard from Romans 8 and ask God to open our eyes that we would see Him as our Father, that we would come to Him humbly as His children, seeking grace and help, seeking strength, and assurance. And for those of us who do not yet know Jesus, I, I pray that we would put our faith in God's Son, that we might know forgiveness of sins, that we might know what it means to be reconciled to this Father. And may the Spirit convict us of our sin and draw us to God's beloved Son.
Dear Father, we thank you that we can call you Abba Father. And Father, we are amazed that you have lavished such wonderful love upon us, undeserving as we are, once rebels, willful sinners against you, far from you. Indeed, we did run away from you. But Father, we thank you for such amazing love. We thank you that by your grace, you have brought us near. Not only have you forgiven our sins, not only have you given us the blessings of the gospel, you have given us yourself. Oh Father, we are humble and amazed as we consider the wondrous blessings that we have in Christ. Father, we thank you that we can call you Abba, Father. And we pray that as we go into the world this week, Father, we, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, the spirit of adoption. Fill us with a renewed sense of confidence in you. Strengthen our weary and worried hearts that we would find rest in you alone. Oh, Father, we pray that you would refresh us with the promises of your word. Help us to come to you, to know you, to enjoy you, and to look to you in our coming days, that we would know that we are returning to you one day. And on that day, we will find true rest. So strengthen us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.